It has occurred to me that we might reflect on the unexpected presence of Corporal McBurney in the house. Until his leg heals, of course. And we might discuss how we may practice compassion and what else we might learn from his presence here. What does each of you think of this? Miss Alicia, can you tell us what you think we may learn from his presence here? Um, maybe the side of him will remind us there's something else in the world besides lessons. Oh, it seems to me that is all there should be for any young lady your age. Hello and welcome to Original Remake, the podcast where we discuss an original film and its remake. Well, not always, Mike. Sometimes we don't talk about a remake. Peter, that's the name of the show, Original Remake. Well, yeah, but what I meant was the remake featured on the show is a sequel, a, a reboot, or unofficial retelling of the same story. So you're saying we're remaking the premise of this podcast? Yes, because just like Hollywood, on Original Remake, we are that unoriginal. Well, we are doing a movie podcast, Peter, so... Yeah. All right, so joining me today is Alice Bishop, a film critic who has been on my other podcasts a couple of times, War Machine vs. Warhorse, and I'm happy to have her here on Original Remake. So, Alice, thank you for joining me for these two romantic movies we're going to discuss today. <laughs> yes, thank you for having me. I always appreciate it, so I'm excited. Part of the reason I invited you is because um, I think you're one of the few people that uh, recently went back and reviewed the original Beguiled, the Clint Eastwood one, which we'll get into. Um, and so I, I read your review and uh, enjoyed it, and I want to give people an opportunity to check that out in case uh, they hate my voice and they're going to stop listening to this podcast <laughs> right now. Uh, so tell people where they can find uh, your work online. Uh, yeah, so I have uh, a reviewing site uh, which I use, and uh, it's just alicebishop.net. Um, and you can, if you go on there, you'll see that I've recently reviewed both versions of the film. So, in uh, I believe in my new releases section and in my classic releases section, I have reviews of both. If uh, yeah, if anyone wants to check them out, so I did have a lot of fun uh, watching them. So that's yeah. good to hear because uh, most people I have on podcasts, uh, not so much when I assign them something. So this is the the rare case where you you watch them ahead of time and it's sort of <laughs> after the fact. That I was like, hey, let's get together and do a a recording on it. Is there a, another a recent release or even a classic film that you've uh, written a review for that uh, uh, you're really passionate about or you'd like people to uh, to check out? Uh, well, obviously Dunkirk, but I feel like everyone's talking about that. Never heard so, of it. So <laughs> one that I will mention that I actually really enjoyed was the uh, film uh, 47 Meters Down. I, it might have a different title in the U.S., um, like in the deep or something I'm not sure but um, it's had like different titles but it's this like um, cage diving shark attack film um, that I well I wouldn't I don't know if enjoyed is the right word but it was it was intense I have a massive fear of sharks like like okay. beyond like the standard fear like I literally like was screaming the whole time um, but it was it was really really good so I, I really enjoyed it's silly it's trashy but I really enjoyed writing the review for that um, because I'm so afraid of sharks. So I, I enjoy writing about it. I'm strange like that. <laughs> I'm glad you actually uh, have just made me aware of that because the only – I don't think I saw any trailers for this. Uh, the only reference point I have for it was going to the movies for like a Sunday matinee and the people in front of me being totally – 
put out because this movie 47 meters down was sold out or they had to sit in the front row if they wanted to see it. And I'm like, what in the world is that? Like, and why, why would it be close to being sold out? So I had no idea uh, what it was, but uh, how does it compare to, uh, was it the Blake Lively one? I think, was it last summer or two oh, years Oh yeah, ago? The Shallows. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that was last year. Um, it's just different. I think uh, The Shallows, most people would class it as a, a better film in terms of, just how it's written mm-hmm. um like the screenplay is actually not that bad in that film um but personally i didn't love that i don't really like blake lively that much i find oh, it kind no. of irritating <laughs> so i just i was like i wasn't really sold on it i thought it was fine um but 47 meters down is it's definitely a worse film it's such a b movie it's really trashy but i love that because i grew up watching films like that so i'm just like it just it makes me so happy even though it completely terrifies me which it shouldn't because it's so stupid because um, it's just constant shark attacks. But I, I preferred it. I honestly preferred it. I think most people won't, though, and I'm sure there are loads of people saying that it's a terrible film. Um, so <laughs> could just be me. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm kind of interested in that because I watched um, the original Beguiled from 1971 with Clint Eastwood, directed by uh, Don Siegel, uh, this morning, and I had never seen it. Um, so I'm, I'm watching these in reverse. I watched the Sofia Coppola version uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, that's the sort of the thought process I had was like, wow, this is a this is a trashier version. This is like a B movie version of The Beguiled, and I kind of dug it. Like I I thought there's certainly silly elements uh, in both, since the the plot for the most part stays uh, pretty pretty much the same. Uh, but I did feel like the '71 version. Uh, was a little bit more honest about what was it definitely the uh, the marketing and the Sofia Coppola version the way the aesthetics of it uh, it is far classier and prettier uh, looking than the seventy one version so I'm I'm wondering I'm curious now if you had a similar reaction uh, watching these two if you liked the uh, the original trashier one as opposed mm. to what Coppola did with it um yeah interesting question I I like both um, for completely different reasons and I find it hilarious that Sofia uh, Coppola decided to remake this because it's, I can't imagine her sitting down and watching the original <laughs> and being like, oh, yeah, I can make this into something really beautiful because it's just not, it's so trashy. But obviously, I guess it's, it's based on a novel. So maybe she started there. I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I, I saw the trailer for the 1971 version and I was like, this was after um, I'd seen the, the newer version as well. So I hadn't, I didn't watch it first. Um, I saw the remake first, and then I saw the trailer for the older one. Um, and as soon as I saw the trailer, I was like, "Oh, this looks like so much fun! Like such a crazy like 1970s type film, like the sort of films you just you don't see anymore, mm-hmm. uh, like completely of its era. Like they just don't make films like that anymore. So I love stuff like that. So I thought I have to see this, especially because it has uh, Clint Eastwood in, because um, I had no idea he'd been in this." Um, and it's a really strange role for him to take. Uh, so anyway, th- that's why I watched it. And um, yeah, I think, like you say, it's a lot more honest about what it is. Um, because as far obviously, I, I haven't read the book um, that it's based on, but I presume the original is actually more faithful to it because there's a lot of really like kind of outrageous topics covered in the story, like um, you know stuff to do with like incest and pedophilia and stuff that the newer version just completely avoids. Um, so I wonder whether it's actually just more honest about what the story really is in a way that Sofia Coppola had 
just no interest in exploring. Like she wanted to create something completely different, which is I enjoy what she made out of it, but it's different. Um, yeah, but, there's been um, some controversy with the uh, I guess the whitewashing aspects of the newer one. Yeah. They remove uh, a black female character uh, that's in the original uh, film, and there are some good moments with her uh, in particular. Her, her interactions with Clint Eastwood, I really really enjoyed. Um, mm. She does seem to uh, be a little bit more aware than the other women as far as uh, what she's dealing with or what type of man he is. Like she seems bemused by his yeah. uh, his attempts at charm and conning. And I like that. I liked seeing at least one character that uh, seems somewhat aware of this this snake that they've let in the door. I don't really have as much of a problem with, I guess, the whitewashing of the new one from the Coppola aesthetic mm-hmm. because I don't, I don't think that it's as interested in the sort of ridiculousness of the situation or the humor. And so uh, I don't know if you need like a sort of a Greek chorus like character that's sort of pointing that, pointing that out. Um, I did have, I do actually enjoy that she dropped this strange, uh, you just mentioned this uh, like incestuous, this brother character mm-hmm. that's seen in flashbacks that um is played by basically the uh the the leader the the sort of matriarch figure of this this school for women in the original uh played by Geraldine Page and then the remake by Nicole Kidman but uh it, it's very you know it's very like almost like bodice ripping like <laughs> flashbacks to this relationship with this uh this this brother and um it, it threw me off a little bit, and I, I don't know. I th- maybe it threw me off more because um, I, for the most part, was sort of eased into the, the story beats, having seen the remake first. That these weird cutaways to this other character who's not in the newer one uh, that had a, a great effect on on this woman uh, threw me off a little bit. Did you have any issues with that? Yeah. Or did you? Yeah, yeah. I think it was. Well, I think the issue is with the whole uh, incest subplot is that it's just messy. Um, regardless of whether it's you know seen as controversial or not or how it fits in the story it it's just messy in a way that i think sofia coppola always avoids uh, at least with a lot at least with her best films she doesn't like the messiness of things like that you know she likes it to be more kind of calm and collected or have a kind of i don't know like a certain atmosphere to it that that subplot you know, it, it wouldn't fit in the newer version, I don't think. Like, it would be too, it would kind of throw you off. Um, but that's kind of the beauty of the original, of the 1970s version, is that the entire film is so messy that it can just kind of throw that in there. And it's part of the fun of it. And you're kind of, you know, laughing at it because it's just so outrageous. It's like pure melodrama. Um, and I, I like that about it. But I, I honestly can't see it being in the newer version. Um, and the same with the... I don't know about the whole whitewashing thing, um, but I think, again, Sofia Coppola, I think she avoided, she just invo- avoided that plot element entirely. It was nothing to do with, I don't, I don't think it was anything to do with her being like, oh, there's no place for a, a black you know, servant character in this film. It's more like she was like, oh, I don't feel like I want to explore that in my version of this. Um, that's the impression I got anyway. I don't know whether that's kind of what you were saying but it is that's that's what i thought like it doesn't bother me no it didn't bother me because i felt like um there is a bit of criticism uh lobbed at the characters in the newer version that they are you know they're in this strange place where they're disconnected 
from the realities of the war. Like there, I mean, there's this shot that's sort of been made fun of on uh, film Twitter of a girl constantly looking like from a balcony out across the <laughs> land. Like, and she goes back to that repeatedly. And uh, I do think the newer one feels more isolated. Um, and I guess if, if you did have, uh, you know, a character who in the 71 version, you know, Eastwood tries to play the race card in a way saying, you know, like I'm, I'm a Yankee. I'm, I'm fighting for you. You should be on my side. And I, I do think that having that character and having this, the reality, the politics of the war, uh, be in the Coppola version, uh, you would, you would then question why the characters are just so removed from everything that's happening in the outside world. So I think there's a benefit to it. Um, as you are saying, I think the choices made kind of fit what each film was going for. Um, I, I think it just really, it kind of comes down to, to tone and maybe it comes down to, uh, at least for me, how you feel about Clint Eastwood playing this part versus uh, Colin Farrell, because uh, it is uh, knowing Eastwood, as we do now, probably even then, I, I read that, you know, this was a box office failure because his fans just reacted horribly to this. It was marked as like an Eastwood action war movie. <laughs> <laughs> that is not what you get at all. It's a strange part for him to take. It's not so strange for, for at least from reading for Colin Farrell to take this part. Like, I, I feel like he's played, you know, supporting characters or weird offbeat sort of, uh, you know, anti-heroes. But Eastwood definitely has, you know, he's an icon. And I think you, you have certain expectations of what he's he's capable of and what his characters are going to do. And the Beguiled is, is sort of sticks out like a sore thumb in his uh his filmography it is a strange role for yeah. him to to embrace no i totally agree i think it's really strange maybe that's one of the reasons why i didn't even know about it because i've seen so many clint eastwood films i'd never even heard of this one um and i think because it almost yeah it, it doesn't fit in the clint eastwood box set like his other films do um but that's the really strange thing about it is that he doesn't have at least the way I saw it is he was very strangely cast in that film because to me, he doesn't really have the, the right characteristics for that role. Like in terms of, maybe cause maybe my idea of what that role is, is tainted by, um, you know, Colin Farrell's interpretation of it. Um, but he, Colin Farrell can play that kind of charming role where you believe that he can manipulate these women Whereas Clint Eastwood, because of all the baggage he has, um, you know, with you seeing him as the kind of lone man type thing that you think of, you know, in relation to the spaghetti westerns, for example, um, it just seems really odd for him to be cast in that role and to try and pull that off. Like, I, I'm not sure that he really did pull it off, but he's still great. I still always think he's great because um, I just find it really fascinating to watch. Um, but very strange for that character i think well yeah he's i would say the first half of the film uh when he's he's injured and he's uh, recuperating under their their care uh and getting stronger getting better uh eastwood playing someone um in some form of you know physical weakness or a man without power uh who has to rely on the you know the kindness of others and can't go back to sort of barking at people with his sort of alpha male status was a little weird to watch and i also have never really seen him as uh playing like that type of romance before where he has to basically yeah. give like pillow talk for a half hour to yeah. get his way and it, i don't know yeah. his voice uh just 
like him being a screen legend. I don't know. It just didn't strike me as uh, you know as fanciful as uh, Colin Farrell. Like Farrell doing it, I'm like, okay, I could see him using his gift of gab, uh, the, the sort of the uh, the Irish accent, you know, that the <laughs> lilt there. I could see him doing that and uh, not having to use his physicality to be in that weakened position and still uh, being able to to get by with his charm. Eastwood not so much, but I did like. I mean, it's. The second half, I preferred Eastwood more, I guess, when the character, and this is, you know, <laughs> I guess this is really about the only uh, major spoiler for, for the, either film is when uh, he comes under some sort of fiscal dismemberment from the, the women <laughs> that uh, his rage, um, I found it scarier because I think mm-hmm. I look at Eastwood as someone who, being an action star in a Western icon i do find him to be more physically menacing if he decides to turn on those women uh i don't think it's going to be a momentary temper tantrum like i kind of felt with the the colin farrell uh version of the character where i felt like okay if they can just manage this one storm they'll they'll be fine but with eastwood i I found it very scary to find him playing a character that is now terrorizing a house full of women um i don't know the tale of two no i agree I totally agree because that's that's one thing I noticed and his reaction there's so much more subtlety as well even though he gets angry with them and obviously he's upset about it Colin Farrell just explodes like instantly um and he's like someone it's almost it's an impulsive thing like he's just like you say it's this kind of crazy rage like he's like shouting and screaming um for ages and ages whereas Clint Eastwood he the way he does it is he almost processes it so he's kind of like it happens to him and he's obviously mad about it but he's a lot calmer and more collected and he continues having conversations with the women and he's it's almost like he's building up to something like much bigger and that is a lot scarier and i liked that a lot more um especially you know comparing them back to back i was like i much prefer that interpretation of it because yeah, it just makes for a more well-rounded character, I think. Whereas Colin Farrell was just, you know, he just exploded on the spot. So it's, it was very different. Yeah, Farrell's version feels like a plot device uh, that is uh, meant to be like a mirror to the women. Like, I think Coppola, you know, and probably for obvious reasons, uh, is more interested in her cast of... Uh, female characters and i i don't you know i didn't go back to see uh what the star power was of these various women uh from the original beguiled but i I think it's safe to say that you know clint eastwood was the star of the film uh this one you know arguably uh you know you could have multiple women here that are bigger stars certainly nicole kidman than colin farrell and it feels like Mm -hmm. their movie i mean you, you just look at the posters on imdb and it's like they clearly front and center it's these three women on Coppola's version, and then the Eastwood. It's him with a gun, and then there's some floating heads of the various women in the film. Uh, I I do think that we quickly go to how they're going to react to this man, either like either when they're on good terms or bad. We're always checking in with the Coppola version as far as where, um, you know, what Kidman's feeling about it, what what Kirsten Dunst, what her facial reaction is, or Elle Fanning. And it was interesting because I felt like Coppola's version was more effective at giving us the lay of the land from the female perspective, uh, even though the original uh, cheats in a way and give us gives us little voiceover comments from the characters. 
But oh, those are so awful. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's fine because I felt <laughs> so like, dated. Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly a, a, a element of style from that time period, but I still felt like even when they're just basically telling me what they're feeling. I felt like I got more from the Coppola version as far as their reactions. And we don't have any voiceover. And oftentimes we don't have any dialogue. We just have the, the women just sort of looking at one another. Um, it did. F- it felt more like there was a sense of history in the Coppola version with the female characters as far as what their relationships were uh, before he showed up. Whereas... Uh, I, I didn't really... I don't know. I didn't really feel like in the, the Eastwood version that there were too many bonds there. Like they, they each have their moment with him, but um, I certainly didn't get the, uh, this sort of ageist quality that we get, uh, especially with the, the Dunst and Fanning versions of the character and Coppola. Like, I think there's legitimate angst that, that Dunst brings to the Edwina character that um, I didn't feel as much um, in the, the original 71 version. No, no, I totally agree. I, I think the, the sim- to me, it seems like the sympathy lies in completely different places in the two films. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you know, watching the newer version, you can root for the women. And a lot of people, when I saw it um, in the cinema, were, were laughing, you know, when it re- it's reaching the end point um, and when it's all kind of going downhill for the Colin Farrell character because you almost become as sadistic as some of the female characters, particularly the Nicole Kidman character. Mm -hmm. Whereas you don't get that in the original. I guess you could, but it's not really the intention. You are meant to sympathize a lot more with Clint Eastwood and maybe relate to him a lot more. You're meant to feel much closer to his character, I think, and understand more what he's going through. And you don't want bad things to happen to him. At least I didn't. Um, not in the same way that you do in the newer version. Um, and I think it's just, it's a, maybe an angle difference. So yeah, like Sophia Coppola, obviously she loves films of, to make films about women. So to her, it's like she wants to make another really female-focused film where, you know, she's you know, looking at the dynamic between the women and kind of getting some sort of sick pleasure out of like what they end up doing, mm-hmm. you know, to this character. And I don't think she 100% you know she's so extreme that she wants him and she doesn't set him up as a complete villain and she doesn't want him to suffer that much like there is some sympathy but it's not like it is with the Clint Eastwood character I don't think yeah I found the 71 version to be uh you know if I was I was working in a in the old video store days I would I would feel fine putting it in like the horror uh shelf like I I, because what you just said like there there is something horrific watching Eastwood be taken down by these women. Um, yeah. Not only just the, the body horror that I mentioned, but the the fact that you know uh, they don't back down. Um, yeah. He he loses in the end, and I don't think you ever have the confidence in the feral character that he's he's going to pull it out. I absolutely agree with you that there is a sense of fun and watching these women take him down. Um, that that's one element that I I disliked about the couple of versions. I didn't feel they pushed that far enough. Like I felt like there was, there was a lot of fun left on the table, and I guess it's the the trashier elements, like because I'm with you like that. My crowd, there were some chuckles at the tournaments because it does get so crazy so fast. Uh, but it, it's only a 90 minute movie, and I felt like there's they could have really like played this up more. Like uh, I felt like there was a a rush to. Not to judgment, but a, a rush for those characters to sort of deal with the, the the feral character, and I don't know if it's a pacing thing. We're seeing him drunk 
and you know moaning about his loss of his his leg his foot uh i don't know if that would have she felt like that would have taken uh the fun out of it i would have really enjoyed that because i found him my read on him was that he was an idiot that he was a very bad con man that he was and i didn't get that from eastwood from eastwood i i felt like um you know he was he was like a sexual predator that you know that played with fire and sort of got what was coming to him but I, I felt like Colin Farrell, even when he's like talking to women, I'm like, wow, he's, you know, he's got so many lies and so many games he's running here that he's just, you know, he's going to foul up and he doesn't even see it. He's too stupid to see that he's overplaying his hand. Um, yeah. I would have enjoyed it more because I, I felt like seeing the, the bumbling idiot, uh, even in the end when he's, you know, throwing turtles on the ground and screaming <laughs> and you know, covering himself in wine, I would have liked to see that play out further, but, uh, yeah, it didn't happen. That's that's my major complaint with Coppola's version. I I feel like it's short and shies away from some of the the pulpiness, some of the fun trash that could have been had with it. Yeah, I agree, and I I think she gets distracted by some of the female elements in her own films. So she's obviously fascinated, a bit like you know back in the day uh, when she made The Virgin Suicides. Mm-hmm. Like she's fascinated with this concept of like girls, like groups of girls, and like you know, how they relate to the world as a whole and how they're perceived by the world. Um, but I think, you know, w- with her adapting this story, she obviously managed to cut out a lot of things that she felt were messy. But when it got to that final act, it's almost impossible to avoid some of those elements, some mm-hmm. of the plot elements. So she thought, okay, well, I've got to put them in. So she just kind of puts them in. And like you say, it just doesn't, it doesn't flow in the same way. It feels like she felt like she had to. Uh, where really she was more fascinated with just watching the dynamic between the you know the all female group um, and how they perceive this you know male character coming into their lives. Um, but yeah, so it was it was interesting. Um, I still think it wasn't a, like it, it's not a disaster like the way she did it. It she found a way to do it and to show it, and it's quite graphic the way you know she managed to present it. Um, but it's still yeah. It's definitely different to the 1970s version. I think you and I uh, are probably different from at least most of the reactions I've read to uh, other podcasters uh, and other reviews I've read. There have been they've been really passionate about Coppola's version. I love like you know there there are people that with their reviews claim her as like their favorite like working filmmaker day, and so this was a huge film for them this summer to to see. And then there are other podcasters have liked previous work, works of hers and they really really did not like it like really despised it um so i don't know if we if we're failing alice at just being more middle now, of the road I would, i'm i'm always skeptical and it's quite i don't know whether this is controversial but i'm skeptical when when it's a female director i think there's some pandering that goes on especially in like mainstream circles so you know where they'll just say oh obviously it's amazing and i i wonder to myself i'm like okay well I wonder if the reaction would be the same if a man had made it, um, you know, and it had been the same sort of vision and, you know, found an interesting dynamic between the women, whether it would have been interpreted the same way mm. and see, you know, put at such a high level. Um, I just wonder, I don't know. <laughs> so I'm always like, mm, always just a bit skeptical, uh, but I did enjoy it. Um, and I, I do think she's good. I really do. Um, but yeah, both versions are good in their own weird way, I guess. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with, um, you know, adding, you know, be it your, your gender, your race, whatever your sexual orientation, you know, any sort of 
experience or viewpoint you can bring to the film is great. But uh, to your point, yeah, there's there's probably a lot of that where you know the the shorthand is uh, Sofia Coppola and women, right? Yeah. <laughs> like you know, well, I'd be like... so mad if I was her, and that was the thing though. Yeah. Like I maybe she loves it, but because she does make films about women, and obviously mm. she's passionate about it. But if I was her. I'd be so mad if I was put in that kind of, oh, you're making film, you're, you're a woman making films or whatever. I'd be like, well, I'm just a, a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. So I just, don't, I don't know. I don't really, I don't like that approach, like the way people see it like that. But maybe it's, maybe it's just me. I don't know. I did a, a recording of this for my, my other podcast with a, a female critic, um, Amanda from uh, the podcast, Amanda's uh, Picture Show Go Go. Uh, and she, I think she was amused that I found Colin Farrell to be such an idiot. Like, such a, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. So they're, they're clearly just different readings, uh, all around, but, uh, mm. yeah, I, uh, I, I wonder, I kept going back to the neon demon. I don't know if you watched that last oh, year. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, there's obviously there's the, the El Fanning connection, but both of them have like this sort of, uh, coven of witches, basically like yeah. someone who, and in that case it's, it's, you know, definitely uh, women versus women, uh, that dynamic. Yeah, but it's so interesting, the different way that they were perceived though. And cause I remember uh, having some arguments online with people about the Neon Demon. Um, cause there were some girls that were saying, um, you know, it's, it's a horrible film because it's made by a man and it shows these women as really nasty, right? Mm-hmm. Yet you then have something, you know, like a Sofia Coppola film that comes out, <laughs> which is the exact same thing. And it's like seen as like an empowering thing. And I'm like, this is so weird because they're both amazing. They're, they're both in- interesting. And to me, that's an entire, like, it's irrelevant, you know, who make like if it doesn't matter whether it's male or a male or female who makes it, if they can capture that, it's all just about, you know, whether you can enjoy it or not or how you interpret it and it's just interesting how people just pick and choose at how they choose to interpret it so i'm i like to be more consistent so i like how it was done in the neon demon and i like how it was done in, in the big world as well so. i i'm a much bigger fan i guess because i'm a dude and i'll side with the dude <laughs> from neon demon but no it's just i mean i feel like his version uh is maybe uh more honest remake-ish of this sort of beguiled like setup because it does not shy away from the trashiness. I mean, there's, there, oh, yeah. there are eyeballs being coughed up. In that film. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I'm, I, I want to go bigger. And, uh, I like my pulp. So, uh, but the, the one uh, sort of last thing we do on the show is, and we've kind of gotten into it with a little bit with neon demon is, uh, if this storyline or something similar was going to be adapted yet again, uh, you know, 20, 30, 40 years down the road, uh, is there a different way you would like to see it approached as far as the, the setting? Would you like it to stay the same as far as the Civil War? Or uh, would you like to see it placed in a, a different time like they, they do with you know with other adaptations where they, they sort of modernize it in a way? Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know whether it's very hard if you want to keep it American, mm-hmm. you know, in an American setting. It's very hard to change the context, I think, just because – you know, it's, it's hard to make events like that happen in any other context. I can't really think of it. We're Maybe working on it here in America, I'll tell you. <laughs> it would be different, though. It would, be, it would still be a very different story, I think. <laughs> even, like, if, yeah, even if it were in the uh, modern context. Um, but So it makes me think either you'd have to go farther back uh, to a different time, like, you know, even farther back than before where this was, when this was set, okay. or you might have to change the country it's set in or something. That's what I would do. Like if, you know, 
someone said, you know, remake this and you have to change the context. I probably just set it in a different country. Um, well, that's yeah. not good. We can't do that. Oh, that's different then. Well, no, but that's the thing. It's but that's the thing. You can't. I think it's really difficult to change the story on this. That's why I think there are like even though there are so many tonal differences between the uh, the first version and the remake, I think actually there's a lot of consistencies between them in terms of like the actual story. So even though you know a couple removed some uh, certain uh, subplots, the actual story does remain intact. Um, and you can't make too many variations on that, I don't think. Because um, that's just the way it is. Um, just the way it was written, I guess. Is there an actor that you could see stepping into the Eastwood role that would uh, be closer to what he sort of represented that time period? Not, nothing against Colin Farrell, obviously, as an actor, but he is not, he is not Clint Eastwood. Uh, is, there, is there an Eastwood working today that you think would have made a couple of one better? Really you know who I would actually really love to see in that role, but it's so weird, um, is Tom Hardy, because he's so, like, you would never think of him in that role. Mm-hmm. Because, and he's almost not even, he's not even, like, the right body shape or anything, like, to be, like, a Union soldier, <laughs> but not from, like, that era. But, like, I could totally see him doing it, because he has, I, I love, um, I really think he's a great actor. And I love the kind of, um, I keep saying to people how much I loved him in Dunkirk, um, particularly because you only see his eyes for the whole film, or mostly for the whole film. And uh, he has so much expression behind his eyes. I think it would be so interesting if he played this character and he hardly says a word to them, but it's just all in his face. So like everything he's thinking or everything you you know that we find out about the character, it's just all in his facial expressions. Like I would, I would really, really love that. But yeah, I can't really see that happening though. I'm, I'm going to go back in time a little bit. I was thinking of... Um maybe like an early 90s Jeff Bridges would have fit this role yeah. really well because he's he's charming, uh, but he also, he didn't really care too much about how he was, the type of roles he took. He, he would play darker characters, uh, especially in that, that time period, and I could see him sort of embracing that. So early 90s Jeff Bridges, uh, which, you know, that goes against, he's, he was never, you know, even then a Eastwood character. He's probably even more of a star now in his older years, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that that was who I was thinking of, like Fisher King, Fearless era Jeff Bridges. I think would have been yeah. uh, good good time for that. And then yeah. Nicole Kidman obviously would have played a younger character around that time period, maybe the the Kirsten Dunst role. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed this one. I enjoyed, uh, although it was strange, uh, set my alarm for seven in the morning on on a Sunday to watch the Beguiled, the the Eastwood version. That and I knew kind of knew what I was getting to. And this is, I will say. Uh, I recommend both films seeing uh, either one, um, but I would not recommend starting your Sunday morning watching it. It's it's uh, this is more like a late night type thing, Friday or Saturday night. Um, but I was glad to be able to talk with you, and uh, it is like late afternoon where you are, so we'll, we'll get you out of here uh, so you can enjoy your day the rest of your weekend. But before we do, uh, tell people where they can uh, find your reviews again and where they can interact with you on social media. Uh, yes, so uh, yeah, my website where all my reviews are is alicebishop.net. And um, other than that, I just use Twitter. My, my Twitter is um, at alicebishop28. Um, and I also have a Facebook page for my for my site, um, which is just alicebishopfilmcritic. All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh... And uh, next time we'll do a romantic comedy or something. Do something. Yes. Although clearly not uh, uh, Age of Adeline is one that I have up. I'd pulled oh. it. I'm like, I'm going to cover it. And now you've already stated you hate Blake Lively. So that's that's a big 
Yeah, I, I didn't know. even watch that. <laughs> that would be a horror I, film I think for I you. saw half the trailer and said, I'm never going to watch that film in my life. <laughs> so, as I mentioned earlier on the episode, my name is uh, Mike. I host another show called War Machine vs. War Horse, which will have an episode on The Beguiled probably uh, the day after this one uh, releases. And on that show, the, the premise is a new release. In this case, The Beguiled inspires a conversation about two older films that share a similar theme but approach it differently. And we will be looking at con men uh, getting conned uh, by the opposite sex. And for that, uh, that pairing, we will be looking at two films from 1997, Jackie Brown and In the Company of Men. If you'd like to subscribe to that show, it's on iTunes or you can go to followingfilms.com where uh, this podcast, original remake, resides. Also, if you'd like to follow my co-host who's absent for this episode, Peter, he hosts a show called Podstalgic, which you can find on the Core Temp Arts Network. You can interact with him on Twitter at Podstalgic. I'm at War Machine Horse. And this show is at Original Remake. So uh, I think we're done here, and let's uh, turn it back over to uh, Clint, because he's just more of a man than all of us. or a hell, as Clint Eastwood, wounded Yankee, is brought to an all-girls school to become the prisoner of these man-deprived women, these man-eager girls. You must be tired. Wouldn't you like a chance to go to your closet? I might sponge parts of him. You wouldn't. You are not our guest. Do you get any ideas of trying to amuse yourself with any of the ladies in this house? No, wait just a minute. out on that road so fast no. you won't know what happened to you. Consider the possibilities. Is he a helpless victim to be threatened, teased, enticed, loved at their will and pleasure? What do you want? I love you. Or is he a man? Aggressive, wooing, demanding, who must love to stay alive. I don't want to take your brother's place, but I must warn you, it won't always be easy to act like a brother. Clint Eastwood, man, the symbol, the sexual enemy. I'm going to have the run of this place. One is I'm going to be with any young lady that desires my company. Geraldine Page, possessive. Vindictive. Just because I didn't go to your bed. Elizabeth Hartman, her passion latent and violent. You lying, filthy lecher! I hope you're dead! The tensions, the jealousies, the conflicts of sexual confrontations, rare even for today. Mm.